I greet you this morning in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. It's good to see you here in the Faith and Arts Center along with those who are joining us online. Today we are concluding our summer worship series, I Believe. We have spent nine weeks exploring the basic tenets of the Christian faith expressed in the Apostles' Creed. Along the way, we've learned that the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, and it literally means, I believe. And a creed is a concise statement of what we believe as Christians. There are creeds in the Old Testament as well as the New, and the church has also written numerous creeds over the years. In the back of the United Methodist Hymnal, there are nine different creeds, including two versions of the Apostles' Creed. Another thing we've discovered is that the Apostles' Creed most likely emerged out of the church's worship together. That when confirmands were baptized, they were asked a series of three questions that gives the Trinitarian form of the Creed. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Something you may have noted along the way is that there is a lot that is not addressed. The creed is not exhaustive. Many of the issues that the church has faced in the past as well as in the present are not addressed. It's not that these challenges are unimportant, but perhaps the creed gives us a little perspective on their relative importance. It's also interesting to compare and contrast Jesus' words in the Gospels to what the church did a few hundred years later. The Apostles' Creed is all about what we believe. Jesus was much more about how we live, and that the first and last word of the Christian ethic is love. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Today, we culminate the series by professing our belief in the life everlasting. And our scripture lesson comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 5, beginning with verse 24. As you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of the gospel. Jesus is speaking, and it begins with these words, very truly. Now, depending on your translation, it might say verily, verily, or truly, truly. In John's gospel, when you hear this phrase, pay close attention, because what about to follow is very important. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him the authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Amen. And would you please be seated. Life is... Fill in the blank. The temptation is always to reduce life's mystery and majesty to something concise and comprehensible. In the process, we coin all sorts of different cliches and platitudes that mean everything and they mean nothing. Life is a bowl of cherries. 
a rat race. Good. Life is messy, suffering, unfair. Life is a miracle, a dream, sacred. Life is short, hard. Then you die. C'est la vie. That's life. Frederick Beekner, in his book, Beyond Words, talked about what life is and is not, and in part wrote, as far as anybody seems to know, the vast majority of things in the universe do not have whatever life is. Sticks, stones, stars, space, they simply are. A few things are and are somehow alive to it. They have broken into something, or something has broken into them. Even a jellyfish, a butternut squash, they're in it with us. We're all in it together, or it is in us. Life is it. Life is with. A learned theologian was lecturing on the topic of miracles and was asked to provide an example of one. And he answered, life. This morning, we come to celebrate the gift of life that is ours, that God has given us as God's people. And we as Christians enjoy threefold life of life itself, life abundant, and life everlasting. Let's look at each in turn. First, we're given the gift of life. When you turn to John's gospel, the first chapter contains what is known as the prologue. And he rehearses Genesis chapter 1 and the story of creation, but with a twist. He wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never understood it and has never overcome it. In him was life. The first chapter of Genesis, the first chapter of John, the first phrase of the Apostles' Creed all recognize God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and of earth that God is our creator who has bestowed the gift of life to the cosmos and to the world. But it's not just the story of the creation, it's also the story of our creation. Just as God created the stars and named them, God has created each one of us. The psalmist reflected on this reality and wrote, you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That part of the gift God gives us is the life that is ours. And it's not just life, it is also sustaining life, sustaining creation. That as God made the cosmos, as God made each one of us, we were not like clocks that God wound up and then wandered off and left alone. Every moment of life, every breath we take is God's sustaining creation, a gift given to us not to be taken for granted, but to be lived with joy and in service to others. 
Hebrews recognizes that in Jesus Christ, all things are sustained by his powerful word. The Roman Catholic Church's catechism includes this section with creation. God does not abandon his creatures to themselves. He not only gives them being and existence, but also at every moment upholds and sustains them in being, enabling them to act and brings them to their final end. I will say the same thing Reverend Sarah did in a slightly different way. She was quoting theologians. I quote comic strips. Uh, Bill Keene and the Family Circus, some of you will remember. There's a, a, a particular segment where Billy is lecturing his siblings, and he says to them, Yesterday was the past, and tomorrow is the future, but today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. Recognize the life and the sustaining life that is ours. Every morning when we awake, we awaken out of a death-like sleep to a new dawn of creation, and it is up to us to partner with the Holy Spirit to live that day And it is not only life and sustaining life, it is ongoing life of creation and sustaining creation and recreation. When you read the book of Genesis, God spoke and the world came into being. That God created something out of nothing. That God is constantly the Lord of fresh starts and of new beginnings. What new thing does God want to do in our life? What new way is God calling us to follow and to serve in God's kingdom? Those of a certain age will remember a popular book from the 1970s with the unusual title, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And one of the characters makes this statement. Here's a test to see if your mission in life is complete. If you're alive... It's not. What does God want to do next in your life? What is the church waiting with anticipation and held breath to see that God is going to do in you and in me because God is always calling something out of nothing? God gives us life, and we as Christians also receive the gift of abundant life. We've all read or at least heard the story of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. A great deal of what you need to know about Judeo-Christian heritage is contained there. Of what to know about the creator, of creation, humanity, sinfulness, evil, fall. We know the story, Genesis 1 and 2, God created and everything was very, very good. Man and woman made in God's likeness. But by the third chapter, things go horribly wrong There's a serpent in the grass. There are hissed words of temptation. They partake of the forbidden fruit. They say, my will rather than your will. And it's not just humanity, but the entire cosmos that falls with them. And even if you've never heard the story, we intuitively experience it on a daily basis as we look at the fallen world about us. But what we come in celebration this day to proclaim is that God has done something about it. Paul talks about what happened at the cross and the empty tomb in a wide variety of ways. One of the images he uses is that Jesus was the second Adam who undid what the first Adam did. 
And we're invited into this new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we discover forgiveness of sins and the gift of salvation. What that does not mean, it does not mean that God removes us from this fallen world. It does not mean we won't have our unfair share of trials and tribulations. It does not mean we won't suffer grief and agony and pain, depression and despair. What it does mean is that we have a relationship with the Lord of life that sustains us and allows us to be more than conquerors in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to fulfillment, have it filled with joy. That is the gift of abundant life that God gives us. And it hints at the fact that salvation is not just pie in the sky, by and by when you die. Salvation is, as Reverend Ike once said, ham where you am. That's the first and last time you'll ever hear me quote Reverend Ike. But it recognizes that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we've already entered into abundant life, into that relationship of everlasting life. When you read the Gospels, and I'm sure you're signing up for Disciple Bible Study this fall, even as we speak, part of what you'll see is that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God. John talks about eternal life, and they're a little bit different, but they also share a great deal in common. That God's kingdom is breaking into our lives anytime we submit ourselves to God's rule and God's reign, and we experience a foretaste of glory divine. We sang a little bit earlier, blessed assurance and that knowledge that is ours that is also a hint of what is to come. God gives us life, God gives us abundant life, and God gives us everlasting life. Last week, I shared that in many ways, the Apostles' Creed ends where Easter and the church's story begin, with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And last week, as we talked about uh, the resurrection of the body, we talked about the hope of glory that is ours, that we have this eternal destination in heaven and that we do not need to live in fear or in doubt because the one that we have entrusted is able to keep that which we have given him for all time. And we rest in that assurance and we rest in that knowledge that we are not earthbound settlers, we are heaven-bound pioneers. Sometimes we forget in the midst of all that's going on in life there was a Reader's Digest story about uh, two seminary students who decided to go door to door sharing their faith. And they came to one house and the picket fence was unpainted. And the gate was hanging by one hinge and the grass was a little tall and there were half-clothed children running around with barking dogs chasing them. And they walked up to the door and the doorbell didn't work so they knocked on the door and finally this hairy tired woman came and answered and said can I help you and they said yes ma'am we'd like to talk to you about everlasting life and she took a look around and said I don't think I could stand it <laughs> it's easy to get caught up into this world to get so focused on the moment that we forget that we are heaven bound and that eternal perspective makes a difference in our lives. 
Yes, we face the trials and tribulations of this world, but we also live as a people as the world to come. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's a prayer in the book of worship uh, for a funeral, and I appreciate the book of worship's uh, title for the whole funeral section. It is titled, A Service of Death and a Resurrection. It recognizes both realities that we are grieving death, but it's also that moment when we're claiming our promises of resurrection. The prayer in part says this, give us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we might see the light of eternity. Speak to us once again the solemn message of life and of death. Hear this next part. This for me is so meaningful. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live. To be prepared for death, but to know that when we die, we go forth to live. When I graduated seminary, my, my first appointment was two country churches outside of Noonan, uh, one of whom uh, the pianist for that summer was Miss Francis. Uh, Miss Frances was in her 90s at the time. She was so old, she had played the piano for the silent movies at the theater in town. And in her time, she had been a quite an accomplished pianist. Her time had been a long time ago. And when she would play the piano, oh my goodness, it was like watching molasses flow in January. She'd move from one chord to the next, and it might take us seven minutes to sing a three-stanza hymn. I remember visiting with her as she was nearing death. And she propped herself up on her elbows and she took her little bony finger and she shook it under the nose of her child preacher. And she said, when you preach my funeral, you tell them I've gone to glory. That story has stuck with me for over 40 years now. She did and I did. And I continue to proclaim it today that ultimately we go on to glory. Life is fill in the blank. But first and last, remember what Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The one who gives us life gives us abundant life, and gives us everlasting life. And that is what we confirm and affirm this day as God's people. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we might see the light of eternity. Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and of death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live. Lord, make it so in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm.